Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Film Chats, a podcast all about a shy, recently divorced man called Sam Foster who lives by himself in a swanky New York apartment. One day a man forces his way into Sam's apartment, holds him down and forces him to make sounds of erotic satisfaction while he records it all on a dictaphone. After the attacker leaves, Sam calls the police, who promptly arrive on the scene. While they're interviewing him, Sam's friendly neighbour, Danny Moran, stops by and comforts him. Sam seeks safety by moving to an apartment on the other side of the city. However, while he's moving out, the same man tries to attack him again. This time, Danny conveniently passes by and is able to prevent the man from entering Sam's apartment. However, Danny is not the helpful neighbour that he seems to be. He is in fact a completely unhinged individual with an erotic fascination with Sam, apparent to Vedit as he observed him through the apartment windows. In a bid to quench these sexual desires, he hires a taxi driver to perform the attacks on Sam with the purpose of gaining the recordings so he can listen to them and fantasize about Sam all day long. Is what I would be saying if this was a podaptation of the classic 1980 film Windows. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran and joining me is a sultry minx who shows no outward affection to me, but I'm positive wants me, Sam. Wait, are you saying that that's a female character? I was really hoping it was a homoerotic film. Yeah, no, no. Oh, which, well, in uh, the original film, it's a lesbian. In our, in our, in our, I was lesbian. Yeah, but I switched it to... In our pod adaptation, it's... Uh, it's gay. It's gay. Yeah, that's much better. Yeah. Who's in it? I've never heard of this movie. Uh, nobody famous, but it is directed by Gordon Willis, who is the genius yeah. cinematographer of the uh, Godfather trilogy. Sounds excellent. Uh, this week we are reviewing Tom Ford's noirish psychodrama Nocturnal Animals, all about Jake Gyllenhaal writing a scary novel dedicated to his ex-wife Amy Adams and then sending her the manuscript. It rather reminded me of the time I told Danny I didn't like the end of Ellie Confidential and he went away and wrote a novel called Ignorant Bumholes and dedicated it to Stupid Sam Microcock Foster. It's actually pretty good. Pretty good novel, not a bad debut effort. We also review Paul Schrader's Dog Eat Dog, in which Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe are criminals hired to kidnap a baby. Rather reminded me of the time I told Danny I didn't care for the mask of Zorro, and he hired three guys to kidnap my mother. But they turned out to be actually quite nice. So that was fine. We also talk about remakes, reboots, and restaurants, and have an illuminating chat with French-Canadian director Denis Villeneuve. All that should leave just enough time for me to randomly jab at my phone until I've dialed the numbers of everyone in America who voted for Trump and reminded them to watch the Oscar-winning movie Crash. It's a stirring tribute to diversity. We must find a way to heal. Sorry to get real there for a second. Whoa. But it's important. That's all I'm saying. Get real, people. Open your eyes. Mobilize. Galvanize. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> We've got to save America. Anyway, let's continue with our film podcast. 
films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. Dan Nogan in touch. He says the following. Hello, film chat. Me and some friends recently got into a slightly inebriated debate about which actor or actress would cook you the best meal. Talking points were not only around the quality of the meal itself, but also the general atmosphere of the evening and the calibre of conversation the host would provide. My drinking pals were absolutely convinced that Amy Adams would be a great dinner host, but I wasn't sold. While I think she's an excellent actress and screen presence and wouldn't doubt her culinary talents for a second, I'm just not sure she's got the kind of banter to make me feel instantly welcome in her home. I have visions of arriving early, offering to help with something and being quickly dismissed with a no, I'm fine, just sit down, before being subject to a long, drawn-out silence while she tends to the food and we wait for the next guest to arrive. Meanwhile, I think Margaret Ruffalo, while his cooking talents may be limited to a Jamie Oliver-esque tea towel over the shoulder, greasy stir-fry dishes, would instantly be asking me how work's going while he chops mushrooms unevenly and throws them into a wok without really looking. If I offered to help with anything, he'd give me some broccoli to wash. Who does Film Chat think would cook a good meal? And then he commented that I can't answer this last week with Stanley Tucci, but I have many more celebrities. Many, this is a great topic that we like to talk about because we both like food and films. I love food and films. Um, First of all, I want to um, thank Dan for his message. It turned into, you know, it's quite a detailed fantasy about exactly how the evening plays out. It's very, it's not like, like oh, I think think, uh, Mike Ruffalo would be a fun guy to hang out with. It's, you know, specifics, highly detailed. And I, it kind of, I don't know if it's just my like dirty mind, but I was expecting it to take an erotic turn. Um, okay. Well, you know, it's like Ruffalo welcomes you into his home. He's Hello. chopping the mushrooms. He's throwing them into the wok. Yeah. He looks over to you. He gives you a smile, you know. And you're like, cool, I wish I was those mushrooms. Well, it's a date, isn't it? He's describing a date. No, he's talking about a dinner party situation where if but he arrived he... early... Yeah, like with Amy, I think it's the same thing. Like if Amy Adams, like he, like if you arrived early, you'd struggle to maintain conversation before more guests arrived. Is he saying that he basically arrives early to things? Yeah, and he's Dan... got he's got to pick someone who is going to deal well with an early guest. Well, I guess that's you know that's the worst case scenario for a dinner host, yeah. right? You don't want that, but you know, so that's the good, so test, a good it. test. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Dan, he watched uh, like American Hustle or something, and he was like, I don't know, I feel like if I arrived early to one of her dinner parties. She wouldn't deal that well with it. And then he watched Spotlight. <laughs> After watching Seinfeld. <laughs> she wouldn't deal with it. Yeah. Come on. And he watched Spotlight and saw, or, you know, the Avengers Age of Ultron or something. And he yeah. was like, yeah, I kind of think if I came a little early, he'd be cool. <laughs> it does sound exactly like Seinfeld. Day, <laughs> Dan? It does. Yeah. So I was thinking, I said Stanley Tushy last week. Yeah. Because one of the reasons why Stanley Tushy is a good pick is, first of all, he's a cook. He, like... He's released recipe books. You know, he's a big foodie. But also, he's sister-in-laws of Emily Blunt. So I think they'd be a good caliber of uh, dinner party guests. Yeah, he, absolutely. He moves yeah. in cool circles. Yeah. And I was thinking in a similar way, I would like to be friends and go to a dinner party with, like, Paul Bettany. Yeah? Yeah. 
I think he's got cool friends. Jennifer Connelly's his wife. I can ask her about Labyrinth and David Bowie and stuff. Yeah, that's true. And Wimbledon, obviously. You can ask Paul Bettany about Legion. And Legion and, and Dogville. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what's, is there any connection between them and food? Or do you just think they'd be like cool to hang out with? I think I once had a podcast where Paul Bettany raved about a really good fish place in London. Mm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In so. a way that made, made you think he's a bit of a foodie. I mean, in the fact that he had an answer. This guy's like, I'm going to London, where's good to eat? And he's like, you got to go here. Oh, I see, yeah. So I figured, yeah. You know, and there was no liberation in his mind. He was like, go to Jay Shiki's. <laughs> what about you? Um, I was thinking uh, John Favreau, maybe. Yeah. He made a whole film he about cook now. fantasizing as being a chef. He probably used that opportunity to cook real food, you know? Yeah, I think he knows how to make really good briskets now. And stuff. It would be like being in the movie, except you wouldn't have to go to some shitty van you go to his like millionaire's house yeah so it'd be better um and uh you know he's wealthy he's, he's probably like it's probably a nice guy to visit yeah yeah he looks kind of cuddly you know yeah exactly i want to hang out with him he's, well, he's, quite, he's quite money isn't he yeah he's money he's very money my only other thought process in this was just thinking of like a cool old actor i'd want to hear all their cool stories yeah like i would like to go to christopher Plummer's house oh, that guy right. must have a lot of anecdotes you know yeah, you he's get to see the charming. twinkle in his eye close up. He's so twinkly. Yeah, I want to see that twinkle like up close, up close like, and personal, really close, like blindingly close. <laughs> 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 Just couldn't handle how much twinkle there is. <laughs> yeah, you got to wear shades to go to that guy's house. Ooh. I have a final thought. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino, he might be a bit of an irritating person to hang out with, but food is always very prominent in his movies. Yeah, but it's always like, oh, I don't know. I was gonna say it's always junk food, but, but that's but I th- you know I mean it's not always like. Or cuisine or whatever. He has that strudel in Glorious Bastards, like pretty delicious. Yeah, the big Kahuna burger and uh, people often eating. You know, like there's a food is central, and it's often in. Um, uh, I feel like it's fun, be fun social context. Yeah, you know? it's true. Like, I want, I want to like hang out with him in a bit, like the beginning of Reservoir Dogs. You know, shoot the shit. What? Well, then after the dead body, you're bleeding like, in the back of a car. Um, <laughs> ah! I'm fucking dying. I'm fucking dying here. I'm dying. Yeah, the end of the party wouldn't be so great. I'm but... dining here. I'm dining. <laughs> yeah, that would be my that would be my gag if I if I went to Tarantino's house. You just say I'm, where, I'm, I'm dying. dining. I'm dying. I'm fucking dining here. <laughs> Do you think you'd like that? <laughs> I think he'd really appreciate it. He's a bit of a narcissist. I think he'd love people quoting his movies quoting his or movie. paraphrasing yeah. it or whatever. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The only uh, correspondent who got in touch on this subject was Dougal McQueen, who said Stan and Skarsgård, and then linked us to this weird 80s documentary which involved Stan and Skarsgård like, uh, making a meal for his family and featured a young Alexander Skarsgård sort of like doing some homework at a table. Did he know about this already, do you think, Dougal, or did he... I think he's been waiting for this question for years. <laughs> Finally, I can post my Stellan Scott's got cooking, I don't know, something. Amazing. Great contribution. Jake Hoskins wrote to us. He says, what do you think is the best ever remake? Can't think of many great ones, but 310 to Yuma and True Grit were both pretty good. But maybe there are some remakes of foreign films I'm forgetting. Can't count The Departed because Infernal Affairs was better. Also, I think the main problem with remakes is that they tend to remake already good films. So what's the point? They should remake a film which has the nugget of a good idea, but which surely didn't come out that well. In which case, what films would you most like to see get remade? And Danny, you rather cannily cast this out to a wider audience, because it's a fun topic to discuss. So Joe Joe McCormick was the first to reply. He says, 12 Angry Men has a good remake. 
and I would also be happy to see it remade again if the cast were good. And he clarifies that the remake of Jungle Man is a TV movie. He says, I'll be honest, I have not seen it, but saw it had won some awards. But a proper movie remake with a great cast would be real good. This is, like, not the response I was... It's not what would immediately leap to my mind, nay. <laughs> I mean, Jay, you're a man with opinions. Crazy opinions. I'm glad. I'm, I'm quite glad that, like, the fact that we always sort of disagree with them means it hasn't sort of put him off, you know? Yeah, After I the know. the long back and that... forth about Kingsman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a very, it's a very, like, it's a good sport of him to come back, but maybe we have to watch this TV movie version of Tiger Man. I'll be like, wow, the Henry Fonda one really is a piece of bullshit. Well, it's a weird one to remake because it's so uh, timeless in its themes. I mean, it was a play originally, so. Yeah. And it gets performed all the time. I don't, it's not a film that you watch and you're like, they really haven't done all they can do with this 12 guys sitting in a room concept. I guess the only, the way to remake it would be that just have a modern jury where it's not just all guys not just all white guys uh corolla muti he says von trier's antichrist which is a solid attempt to remake bay pig in the city it's heartwarming and enjoyable but misses those real laugh out loud moments of bpic which i guess is short for bay pig in the city although some may feel it's more of an allegory than a remake i think he might can't, be can't argue with that he's pulling our balls i think without what response i'm not so, seeing bay pig in the city so it's I can't jocular comment. I haven't Maybe. seen it either, but some guys are talking on Twitter recently about it being extremely good, apparently. I remember Steph Mildner pointed out as a superior sequel. Bay Pig in the City. Year, years back? We're not that old. Yeah. Months back. Months months ago. We've got to watch this movie, man. I, this is a masterpiece that we haven't seen. Here's a bit of trivia. Sure. Um, they were never going to make a Hot Fuzz sequel, but they said if they did, it'd be called Hot Fuzz 2 Pigs in the City. That's a good title. Yeah. Yeah. Callum Russell got in touch. He said, I've not seen the originals. But Cronenberg's The Fly and Carpenter's The Thing have to be better than the originals. Well, they're sort of more famous, I guess. Those, yeah. are, those are occasions when the remake is better known than the original. I can't speak for The Fly, but The Thing is superior to The Thing from uh, Another World. Another World. Yeah. And uh, I was like, maybe The Fly is better. But I was like, maybe Tim Rogers would know. And he did. And he commented, would also definitely agree that The Fly remake is better than the original. And that's, so that's definitive now. Tim said that's Fair the enough. Case. He also said, would love to see a remake of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They screwed it up so badly the first time, but could see a proper version coming out on Netflix that would do justice to the dark comic source. Okay, Tim, that's a fucking masterpiece, okay? The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. I know that you like it. <laughs> I think it's it's definitely my category of it's so bad it's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got some great, like, so bad they're good lines in it. Uh, and it's, um, yeah. Weird it's quite movie. good fun. Very weird. I think the, the, the thing about it is that they took the Alan Moore comic and tried to turn it into a super mainstream, boring film. But the yeah. concept is so weird that it's only there's only so far you can go trying to make it bland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it still comes out quite odd. Absolutely. Um, Tim went on to say that The Thing is an interesting one because it is better than both the original and the sequel prequel. So I would say that True Grit remake is better than the original film, closer to the book and more fitting to the end of the West period. Also, much preferred the Ocean's Eleven remake to the Rat Pack original, though that only goes for the first remake. Twelve was a bunch of bullshit. Strong words from Tim. I haven't seen the original. Have you seen it? Nah. Nah. Nah, mate, but Ocean's Eleven's is well good. Yeah, that seems like a pretty good suggestion as well. I think Tim's really aced this question. Well done, Tim. Neither have I seen the original True Grit. I've only seen the remake. I would, controversial, I'd say the original True Grit's better. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. It's like inferior in a lot of ways, but I think the characterization of the girls better in the original really it's pretty good in the 
So I think he's too sparky. It kind of misses the misses the point of the book. Mm. I actually haven't read the book. What am I talking about? In the original, it's a bit more that it's you know she's all it's all bluff. It's all just her attitude and there's a point where it's kind of revealed what she's actually like but that never happens in the remake do you think the coens is a bit too much like modern woman in a you know where it's like yeah it's like that sort of um slightly like cliche of the cardboard strong independent woman kind of thing almost less do with gender but more fact that she's just a kid and like it's never that's never the case she's just like a grown woman yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in the in the movie, even though it's played the original, even though it's played by like a twenty five year old actress, like there's a bit where she's like, you realise that she just sort of has to pretend to be tough, mm. and it's mm. kind of like the best moment in the movie. So, although I'm saying that, I haven't watched that movie in like I think the first time I watched the original True Grit, I was like nine. So I'm going with my nine year old's opinion. I really enjoy. <laughs> it's about yeah. seventeen years ago. But you're so. an early bloomer. You had some pretty nuanced takes at that age. Yeah. Yeah. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print Sam, what film do you most want to see? What film do I most want to see? <laughs> it just doesn't exist yet <laughs> <laughs> Is it a gritty take on the Green Hornet? You read my mind. <laughs> because that's what's happening. So do you remember the Green Hornet, that sort of failed Seth Rogen vehicle from a few years ago? Yeah, directed by Michel Gondry. Yeah, and everyone involved with it said it wasn't very good yeah. and have sort of slightly disowned it. Uh, that itself was based on original property, which I think started life as a radio series that then became a TV show in the 60s starring Bruce Lee. And also I think it became a comic strip. Uh, weirdly prolific uh, character with no cultural impact it seems the Green Hornet um, but maybe Paramount, it's a big deal in America maybe so maybe Paramount have snapped up the rights um, I think they recently expired with the previous studio and Gavin O'Connor who recently directed the Ben Affleck film The Accountant and also directed Warrior that Tom Hardy Joel Edgerton mixed martial arts movie yeah um, is tapped to direct it um, he is a huge Green Hornet fan he says I'm beyond excited to bring the Green Hornet into the 21st century in a meaningful and relevant way, modernizing it and making it accessible to a whole new generation. My intention is to bring a gravitas to the Green Hornet that wipes away the camp and kitsch of the previous iteration. I want to re-mythologize the Green Hornet in a contemporary context, with emphasis on story and character, while at the same time incorporating themes that speak to my heart. The comic book movie is the genre of our time. How do we look at it differently? How do we create a distinctive film experience that tells itself differently than other comic book movies? How do we land comfortably at the divide between art and industry? How do we go deeper, prompt more emotion? How do we put a beating heart into the character that was never done before? These are my concerns. Wow. These are my desires, my intentions, my fears, my goals. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm about to break into applause. Uh, he goes on. Okay. <laughs> When we meet Brett Reed, he's lost faith in the system, lost faith in service, in institutions. Is that, if that's the way the world works, that's what the world's going to get. He's a man at war of himself, a secret war of self that connected to the absence. <laughs> a secret war of self that connected to the absence of his father. It's the dragon that's lived with him that he needs to slay, and the journey he goes on to become the Green Hornet is the dramatization of it, and becomes Brett's true self. 
I think of this film as Batman Upside Down meets Born Inside Out by way of Chris Kyle. He's the anti-Bruce Wayne. His struggle is he savior or a destroyer? Oh my god. <laughs> I wow. Mean, oh my, this this guy, film sounds so good. This guy's got some passion. Yeah. I mean, what a deep film he's describing there. Born Inside Out. Like yeah. Born's guts killing people. Sounds excellent. So Batman Upside Down. To briefly backtrack, the basic premise of the green hornet is that he is the son of a well he's a wealthy billionaire type and his uh, dad owns he's like a sort of murdoch like character owns a lot of newspapers but nice murdoch yeah he's a good guy and he dresses up as the green hornet uh and drives around in a suit pimped out super technical car called the black beauty with his masked confidant and butler kato who's who's asian yeah and uh he somehow like sort of i'm not really sure how this works but he pretends to be a criminal so he can infiltrate criminal rings and then expose them i don't know how he can sustain that mm. but anyway i don't know how yeah that premise, time, how do you... you sweep away the camp and the kitsch he's literally called the green hornet he dresses all in green with a mask yeah i mean his little chinese butler i mean <laughs> what's the gritty version of that i don't know i don't know it sounds i mean it sounds like he, the way he described it is if he's trying to do something that no one has ever done before, but it sounds exactly like Batman Begins or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Like a sort of grounded, realistic take on a um, previously camp convert character. It was, it's interesting. It's so overblown and yet saying almost nothing. He sounds like it's like an apprentice contestant pitching the movie. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see like what aspect of it is like Chris Kyle, the American sniper. <sighs> He gets like, killed by someone he was trying to... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How is he the anti-Bruce Wayne? Isn't he quite a lot like Bruce Wayne? Like, he's got a playboy lifestyle, but he fights crime or something? If he's anti-Bruce Wayne, he'd be like a poor guy who doesn't dress up like that. It wouldn't be a poor guy who commits crimes. <laughs> yeah, be a criminal. <laughs> uh, yeah, well... You know what? This is a great news item, Danny, because it's like a director who no one has really heard of remaking a property that no one really gives a shit about. Um, but he does. But he does. Yeah, he's got to bring his, you know, he's got to show us. It's like you talk a you know, good game, but... Well, you know, I think the biggest problem facing the comic book movie is that people are a bit jaded to them. You know, we've seen so many of them. Yeah. So we need someone with a strong vision if we're going to get a one that's good, right? Yeah. You can't, you know, and this man, he's a believer. And that's what we need in these troubled times. He knows how he likes his hornets. Sam, you know, a little faith in the world. I don't know what I'm talking about here. You're right. We need something to cling on to. <laughs> and the Green Hornet. The Green Hornet is what he's clinging on to. And yes. I want to cling on to him. And if we all do that, then we'll just be a big life raft, won't we? All- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Clinging to each other. Yes. Yes. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it oscar-jingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, Dog Eat Dog. This is one of the many films I saw at the London Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Can we trust you to have remembered it? 
Yeah, it was about like a dog or something, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it as if it was yesterday. It is Good. directed by Paul Schrader, who is the right director of films like American Gigolo and Light Sleeper, though he's probably best known as the screenwriter of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and The Last Temptation of Christ, works with Scorsese a lot, and often makes films about uh, damaged masculinity and people imprisoned in a sort of internal hell of their own making yeah very sort of angsty director and it's directed from a script by matthew wilder based on a book by eddie bunker who was a who was sorry a career criminal turned novelist uh, slash actor probably best known as playing mr blue in reservoir dogs he's the guy who says what's good service take you in the bag suck your dick yeah great line mortal immortal line so the plot is about three ex-cons there's troy played by nicholas cage he's the sort of debonair leader of the free who uh, for some reason, thinks he looks like Humphrey Bogart, despite not looking like him at all. Uh, there's Diesel, played by Christopher Matthew Cook, who is this huge kind of thug of a guy who's the de facto kind of heavy of the group. And then there's the aptly named Mad Dog, played by Willem Dafoe, who, as his name suggests, is a sort of violent, impulsive madman. Mm. The film is about a mob boss hiring them to kidnap the baby son of a guy who owes him money to make the guy pay up. And uh, with this one last job, the free can maybe leave their life of crime. And here's a clip from the beginning of the movie where Troy introduces the gang in voiceover and talks about William Defoe shanking a guy in prison for him and saving his neck. There was me, Troy. There was Mad Dog. And there was Diesel. See, people pretty much can't stand Mad Dog, and I get it, I do. But what you gotta understand is, I know this guy in a very particular way. I barely knew Mad Dog, but he knew my parole was coming up, and he took his fall from me. He just did it, like that. And so, somebody like that, you owe a lifetime. So there's an interesting history to this film where Paul Schrader's previous film, The Dying of the Lights, which also starred Nicolas Cage, was taken away from him and heavily recut, prompting him and Cage to disown it completely. And uh, in the press of the film, he's talked about the impetus for it was to make something together to sort of wash away the bad taste of that previous film. And with Dog Eat Dog, it's a sort of low budget film, but he had full creative control and final cut on it. And this explains the approach of the movie. And I think there's um, very much a devil-may-care attitude at play here, which uh, has led to an annoying uh, dismissal from some critics, I think. It's got quite a negative uh, critical response. And I think part of it is just this narrative imposed on the film, people just dismissing it as slightly uh, tossed off and like not particularly serious film. And Schrader hasn't helped this by pretty much stating that as well. Uh, he said something to the effect of, I've worked with a lot of on a lot of serious pieces of cinema and this isn't one of them. But, you know, serious and bad is not equatable. And I think uh, it's a very enjoyable film and I really liked it. And be- just the fact that everyone else hates it just makes me uh, like it more almost. You know, I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm just defending this film more than it actually is worthy of it. Yeah. You ever have that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you want to, you know, stand up for the underdog. Yeah, the underdog. The underdoggy dog. It dog. So, um, one of the criticisms leveled against it is that it's some sort of sub-Tarantino-esque movie. But I think, rather than it being sub-Tarantino, it's just drawing from similar sources. And 
there's a connection there because it's based on a big by Eddie Bunker, who's writing along with Elmore Leonard is sort of an influence on Tarantino to begin with. And Dog Eat Dog came out in the mid '90s, where there was a sort of second wave of crime movies, like the. Wait, 70s... do you mean Reservoir Dogs? Uh, no, sorry, the book Dog Eat Dog. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. Came out post Reservoir Dogs, but like the whole '90s is like the '70s in terms of crime movies. There's like '70s crime movies, and then like the '80s less so, and then like the '90s is a big maybe post Tarantino was a lot of crime movies, and but the connection is more that um, both Dog Eat Dog and Tarantino are heavily influenced by French New Wave, particularly Godard. This is going to get some deep film knowledge here. Nice. Um, and Tarantino, I think, is dismissed as a sort of lover of exploitation cinema. But his biggest influence is French New Wave. Uh, you know, he named his company A Band Apart. Yeah. And what his films have and what Doggy Dog has and what's borrowed from French New Wave is this very self-aware quality where they're films which know they are films and they um, work in genres and sometimes obey the genre logic, sometimes subvert it and sometimes comment on it. And so to like briefly explain that, like Pulp Fiction is a classic thing where it's got these crime storylines, like the guy dates the mob's boss's wife and you think it's going to go one way and then something super surprising happens. Yeah. And that's like a, a new wave thing. And the same is true of Dog Eat Dog. And what it really is, is a film, a crime film about crime films. And in the press for the um, film, Paul Schrader talked about trying to figure out what a crime movie looks like in 2016 post Scorsese, post Tarantino, post Guy Ritchie, you know, post 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 modern we are now, whatever it is. And if you look at it that way, it's basically a film where like every scene it's trying to try and figure out what it is. And like every scene is tackled with a different visual aesthetic and different sort of editing rhythm. And there's this sort of darkly comic nihilism to the film, which just becomes more apparent. And as it goes on, it sort of uh the film almost gets deconstructed to the point where it sort of drifts away. Right, <laughs> right, and uh, like nothing means anything, uh, which just makes it um, really interesting. It's a really interesting watch. And for example, what I mean by this is that at the beginning of the film, like the first scene, there's this moment of extreme violence involving Willem Dafoe uh, in a sort of suburban house, which is like completely pink and cushioned and candy floss like, you know, sort of. Uh, and I think it can be dismissed as like sort of sub Tarantino, like juxtaposing the violence with the opposite but i think what it's really saying is going one beyond that and just like those scenes have been done to death to the point where it's like a cartoon it doesn't mean anything this isn't real right and that's what the film is sort of saying and this approach not only livens up a sort of quite samey material you've seen before but actually dovetails nicely with the actual theme of the uh, the characters because they're all these losers and one of eddie bunker's big motifs is that once you're in crime you're a criminal for life and he's like the exception to his own rule so it's like everyone in the movie is a bit downtrodden and a bit weary and like it's the last job and it's probably not going to go well but they're doing it anyway and nothing means anything and are we ever going to get it we're just gonna you know our life is just prison reality prison reality and it's all a bit meaningless I and mean, that sounds like it should be horrible to watch but it's actually hilarious it's also got really good performances. Nicolas Cage is always value for money. I really like him. Not in an ironic meme sense. Where, but where are we on like, the sort of cage-ometer? Well, he was... <laughs> well, Paul Schrader offered him the role of Mad Dog. It's like, you know, obviously. Obviously. Uh, but Nicolas Cage said he didn't want to do it, so he plays Troy, who's like the smart one of the group. But I think uh, 
Nicholas Cage is obviously great at playing mental people. He's really entertaining. But he's also really good at playing weary people. I think it's his voice is just built to be a bit sort of... Yeah. Oh, God, you know, sounds a little bit tired. Yeah, exactly. And bored. And, um, yeah, and it suits his character. And his voiceover, which is like throughout the movie, kind of undercuts the drama a lot in a way which is really amusing. And William Defoe is brilliant in it. He's His character could so easily be over the top. And it is like, it's like, you know, the sort of thing where you imagine it's actually very hard to play that character because it could just be cartoonish or ridiculous and just like, you know, not at all believable. But he invests it with this sort of childlike insecurity. And it's a bit like his character from Life Aquatic, Klaus, you know, it's like, oh, thanks for not picking me, you know, like really put out when people like, it's like that, but like stabbier. Right. Yeah. And he's hilarious in it. And uh, the other guy, Matthew Cook, is really good. And there's a definite like Freudian reading of the movie where they're all just like the same character at different. Oh, it's like the id, the yeah, id yeah, and everything, yeah. And uh, that's also yeah. quite a classic crime gang dynamic, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Where there's like the smart one, and then like the slightly dumber one, and then like the incredibly dumb one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Goodfellas or whatever. Yeah. And like they sort of, and there's like a sequence in the movie where they all do the same thing, and it's like they all tackle it in different ways, but they all end up at the same point which kind of reinforces the sort of we're all heading to our own personal hell kind of narrative. But yeah, it's very zippily put together. It's 90 minutes. And I think the reason I liked it so much is because I thought I was getting the film, some people have dismissed it as, like a sort of low-rent straight-to-DVD crime movie. Uh, But it's a bit more than that. And the interplay between the sort of melancholy and dark humour of the source material and the sort of experimental film essay directoring approach was really interesting and so it's got a limited cinematic release and it's on demand now i don't know if i I didn't like love 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 the movie but i think it's well worth watching i'd give it a solid four stars cool you know it sounds good it sounds like um you've outsmarted the idiot critics who don't get it i don't know watch the first scene and like if you're put off by it you won't enjoy the movie but if you can yeah i remember watching um i was really put off by the first scene of um, natural born killers um this was a long time ago yeah it was about 15 or something and uh it had that kind of like frenetic like hyper tarantino-y um mtv video kind of thing and i was like oh god i can't watch this fucking film all right Uh, well is is it a lot like that (laughs) (laughs) but But yeah it sounds it does sound interesting though yeah and the ending is really strong i think and weird Mm. it's you know it's it's a risky movie, I feel like. It takes all these risks. Sometimes out of a sort of intellectual pursuit, sometimes in a sort of why the fuck not sort of way. But that makes it fun. Makes it fun to watch. So watch it. Or don't. I don't know. It's your own life. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone a friend so you know where she's at. Enough now, back to film chat. Sam, you saw a more serious film. I saw a more serious film, more of a prestige-type picture, um, with a much bigger budget. Um, Nocturnal Animals, it's the second film by Tom Ford, made quite a few years after A Single Man. And it stars Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, and a bunch of other uh, very familiar faces. Amy Adams is a um, kind of wealthy socialite type. She runs an art gallery course she does of course she does (laughs) and she's living a bit of a hollow um existence 
uh, with a bit of a designer lifestyle and a um, super handsome but dull banker husband played by Army Hammer. And out of the blue, she receives a manuscript for a novel from her ex-husband, Edward, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, um, who she left 19 years previously or hasn't spoken to for about 19 years. And uh, she starts to read the novel and um, you see the novel played out in which Gyllenhaal plays the central character and it's a kind of neo-noir Texas set thriller in which he is driving through the night with his family um, and they are um, accosted by some terrifying hicks the kind that they have in the south you know it's like as far as i can tell from movies it's like basically half like sort of bug-eyed rapist down there yeah um (laughs) pretty sure that's what's happening yeah um and so the movie skips between the action in the novel um and susan's life and also flashbacks to her early romance and um the course of her marriage with edward here is a clip of susan talking to her assistant who's played um, by Zor Ashton, who's turned up in this film, surprisingly. Oh, wow. You didn't sleep again, did you? You know me. I never sleep. My ex-husband used to call me a nocturnal animal. What ex-husband? I didn't know you had an ex-husband since when. A couple of years in graduate school. It's weird. I've been thinking about him a lot lately, and then recently he sent me this book that he's written, and it's violent and it's sad and he titled it nocturnal animals and he dedicated it to me did you love him yeah i loved him he was a writer and uh i didn't have faith in him i panicked and i did something horrible to him something unforgivable really you left him i left him i left him in a brutal way so I liked it. I thought it was good. I haven't seen a single man, so I have no previous views about Tom Ford. I've never worn a Tom Ford suit or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what his clothing is like. But yeah, it's good. It's it's a very interesting movie. I think it's like an extremely glossy film where you feel like the visuals are definitely the forefront of the director's mind. Um, but it's lent a bit of extra dramatic depth by its slightly unusual structure, which I think works pretty well and is done quite effectively. And it's just entertaining to watch, basically, because it's so well made and everyone in it is like super attractive. Nice. Um, the and the photography is like extremely good. The cin- the cinematography is done by this guy called Seamus McGarvey, who I had not heard of, but has a very interesting CV. <laughs> he did the Avengers, right? He did the Avengers um, and a lot of other like prestigious movies. Yeah, yeah, works with Sam Taylor Wood a lot. Um, yeah, that's right. Whose husband uh, is in the movie. Aaron Taylor Johnson is in the movie. Yeah, um, it's got really excellent performances across the board. Michael Shannon is in it in the sort of novel section. Um, as a detective and he's doing a uh, kind of a slightly Jeff Bridges in True Grit-esque um, relentless eccentric son of a gun type character right but go, when he's, you know yeah. full, it's like full blast Michael Shannon um, I'm sold. and it's extremely good and Amy Adams is also very very good in it um, given that she has to spend quite a lot of the movie just reading a novel and looking like tense <laughs> <laughs> basically because she's finding it stressful to read the novel sure um i think she invests it with uh, a lot of character it's a really it's a really good performance i also thought alan aaron taylor johnson was very good in it as well and i don't particularly like him me neither but he doesn't play a very likable character um, genius casting genius and he has a very good texan accent and i didn't even realize it was him at first 
So I feel like he conned me into liking his performance. You know, how do you know it was him to begin with? You'd be like, what is this? I would have been like, this guy's an idiot. So you, there's a lot of things I like about the way that it's structured, the way it cuts back and forth between um, the the novel and you know real life. Um, I think it's uh, good for the viewer because it gives a lot of variety. It's like whenever you're bored with one thing, you know that it's going to switch to a different story. And it also allows them to play with like quite different kinds of stories because the novel is this like thriller story and uh, the rest of the rest of it is a kind of a psychodrama. And uh, there's the danger. The only danger of it is that the um, the thriller stuff is so gripping that the rest of it is quite pedestrian by comparison. But uh, I don't think it overwhelms it too much. Yeah, and I also think that it's interesting as well to watch because because you know that it's a novel and that has like dramatic context in like the sort of framing narrative. So you're what you're watching it both as a thriller where you just want to see what happens, and also you're wondering about the author's intentions and in having written it in the first place and sent it to Amy Adams' character, right, yeah, yeah. and you're wondering like if he has written it specifically to be read by her or if it's just written about her and if it's this disturbing novel that's intended as like an act of revenge or like a threat you know and all this stuff is kind of noodling around in the background and because you don't know what's going to happen in the novel you know the direction of the story will inform what the intentions of the author had been in writing it you know yeah and it's just like that's a cool frame of mind to be in i thought and it goes some way towards justifying the movie's very like po-faced serious uh this is major like capital a art uh, tone you know <laughs> yeah because it does like have several levels by you know the nature of how it's constructed um it's also got a really good soundtrack I, I really really like the soundtrack um it's a guy whose name i cannot pronounce um it's, it's abel uh Korzenowski or something oh, like that. Korzenowski. Yeah, I think he's Polish. I don't know. Who that um, is. And he's basically he's obviously been instructed to go full Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. Um, and uh, lend it this real like uh, classic Hitchcockian um, psycho thriller aspect. When he does it really, right. really well, I think like the soundtrack lifts. Basically, even if nothing is really happening except Amy Adams looking like tired, it's like there's this incredible string-driven, um, like beautiful theme score that um, lifts a lot. I have some quibbles. The flashback scenes of uh, Susan and Edward Gyllenhaal and Adams uh, in their marriage are not particularly good. And uh, the movie has quite a few of them. And there's, they've got quite a simple dynamic in their relationship. And you know exactly what's going to happen. And the scenes are all longer than they need to be. Right. And it's kind of the exact opposite of the thriller stuff where you really don't know exactly what's going to go down. And in that stuff, you know exactly what's happening. And it's really like banal um relationship interaction stuff um and and not as well not as well written and so like that it sort of limps a bit in those sections and it reminded me a little bit of nicholas winding refn in that it's got this like obsession with um the image right which sometimes outstrips the amount that it has to say so the film does have stuff to say but also a lot of the time it's just like a beautiful picture that's presented to you as though it's really saying something um, I think there are similarities visually with the Neon Demon, uh, but that movie I think knows a little more that it's kind of pulpy nonsense, whereas this is more like you know this this is a film. This is it's a like, film. Yeah, this is a really big film. <laughs> I think that's what Tom Ford is saying. I also think that Tom Ford. I don't know. I don't want to get too much into like imagining the guy's psychology, or whatever. But you get the impression of the movie that he is a bit like conflicted about his own 
like job or sure. his own lifestyle i was gonna say well like... they, the thing is like they've updated this is based on a novel called tony and susan some novel from the 90s i don't remember who wrote it it's not part of my research but apparently in that novel um it's about like quite a middle class family and this one it's updated so they're like basically the barons of texas right and it, there's this like dynamic between um adams and Hall, which is uh in their early relationship to do with he him being a sensitive artist and she is like this sort of pragmatist who just wants to have a stable job or whatever which is kind of a cliche <laughs> yeah Ugh. which is a little bit of a cliche and also the movie like very clearly comes down the side of like the sensitive artist is you know preferable because she's so unhappy in her later life um and it sort of is quite contemptuous of the rich socialite milieu that she's in and makes it seem very hollow and soul-sucking but at the same time the film itself is super obsessed with like beauty and um, precision image stuff you know so it doesn't seem like tom ford's mind well the the way that the movie is made it doesn't seem that different from the attitude you know uh, of like the obsession with surface detail of, so obsessed know, with surface. the shallow like characters me. oh shit yeah exactly yeah so you kind of it's like was, you know just do you hate yourself or like what's the yeah. deal tom ford um but yeah no go ahead what you i was saying? gonna say i read this uh review where they talked about jay gyllenhaal and how he's such a great actor and he's a real sort of method mm. kind of guy and he's like supposed to be playing this sort of sleazy dude and like jay Hall's like okay i'll lose 40 pounds and like you know grow my hair it's like no you look amazing <laughs> <laughs> regardless of what it means for your character this yeah official conversation with tom ford like yeah i can definitely i can definitely see that it's not nightcrawler he looks he looks like great throughout they all look great yeah except for right at the beginning of the movie the movie has this absolutely one of the weirdest opening credit sequences of any film i've seen it's all in comic sans uh <laughs> no it's like um it's basically i guess it's not a spoiler to describe like the very opening well maybe it is <laughs> the opening frame of the movie but like it, the opening credit sequence is this slow motion dancing like really overweight naked women dressed up like drum majorettes with like sashes and it's all this like americana stuff genius genius what does it mean and i don't know like you don't you watch the movie and you're not like ah oh, now i see I, it all makes sense you <laughs> I know guess we're all morbidly obese it's not like that and, and it's like it, it must be some kind of comment on uh beauty or you know or something like that something yeah but it feels a bit like I think there's something quite weird about if you're a filmmaker who refuses to put anyone in your film, it doesn't look like a supermodel except for this, like these people who you're clearly holding up as exotic and, you know, striking. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, it just doesn't sit that well, you know, it's odd. It's weird. It's like, people say that I only put models in my films, but look, I started my film with like this <laughs> slow Parade motion. Freaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, they can be just normal people. Also, it's, why are they fenced into this weird kind of zoo to start your film? Yeah, the only so- way modern owners will accept an ugly woman is in the context of a bizarre, surreal dream sequence. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I didn't, I didn't like, I don't know. I've, I've wondered what that was about, and I still don't feel like it was great, but particularly good. So overall, I think it's definitely worth seeing. It's a, um, it's a cut above your uh, regular affair of this nature. It's a lot of interesting stuff in it. Um, it's an effective thriller some of the thriller sequences are extremely good um and it's incredibly glossy which makes it a very easy watch and very confidently made and uh it is just maybe doesn't quite have enough depth to fill out the um super precise visuals that um he tries to create sure sure tim rogers got in touch 
on the subject of nocturnal animals. He says, saw nocturnal animals this week, which having had a couple of days to think about it, I have decided I really like. However, having seen it, I can't help but feel bad for Isla Fisher. Is it Isla or Isla? Let's say Isla. I always liked her, but here she's not in the film for very long and has clearly been chosen as she looks like Amy Adams. My girlfriend actually thought that it was Adams and had been impressed by her changeability. Her career has gone from being quite promising to essentially a high-class impersonator. Let's not talk about keeping up with the Joneses. Whilst Adams has got Oscar buzz surrounding two of her roles this year, it must be frustrating to see your doppelganger slowly subsume your career to the point where people see you in a film and think that it was someone else's giving a mercurial performance. Anna Kendrick must be thanking her lucky stars for her angular face. What a shallow comment, Tim. <laughs> I did see someone in a review made a really like mean remark about um, Isla or Isla Fisher, where they were like, Amy Adams is, is becoming Nicole Kidman, and Isla Fisher is becoming Amy Adams. Or something. It's like the uh, your red-headed hierarchy of Hollywood is All being right. updated or something. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, she's she plays in the novel type section. She plays J.J. Hall's wife, okay. and is obviously supposed to be some you know, some sort of allegory for um, uh, the Amy Adams character. She's a great actress. I she's think. a great actress. I guess you do feel a bit you know bad for her in playing second fiddle. It's a little bit like Samantha Morton and Emily Watson in Snetsky, New York, because yeah. they also look super similar, and they like cast you know based on that purpose. Isla Fisher plays a MI5 operative in Grimsby, very she, well, very well. I think Is she doing an English accent? Yeah, I think purely because her husband made the film, she had to be in it. <laughs> I think it was a favour. Yeah. A lot of her lines seemed a bit sort of added in just to make the plot make sense. Great. So, Tim, if you want to continue to mourn the lack of development of Isla Fisher's career, yeah. if I pronounce it one way and you the other way, we've got our basis yeah. covered, uh, then go check out that film. Yeah. It's a good performance. Not a great character, but she's awesome in it. Got it. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my ass If I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat Okay, so uh, we've got a very special guest on the podcast this week We have featured um, previously on the podcast some quite eminent directors um, Including Jean-Marc Vallée And we're very delighted uh, to be joined by another director with quite a similar accent, Um, (laughs) the director of Arrival, which we reviewed last week, uh, Dennis Villeneuve, Uh, who I think think is arriving now. Brilliant. Uh, It's it's Denny. Denny. Sorry, Denny Villeneuve. Thank you. I apologize. No, it's okay. It's It's a a real real pleasure to have you. Uh, I liked Arrival a lot. Thank you. Um, It was extremely good. I have a question about your upcoming, uh, your next project, which is um, a sequel to Blade Runner, I believe. Uh, essentially, the problem is uh, I've never seen the first film. They tell me it's a sequel. I don't know if it's sequel or remake. I don't know what either of those words really mean. I'm from French Canada. In Canada, they don't speak English or French, really. It's kind of in between the two. Uh-huh. So I think it's a film... About shaving, I'm gonna make it about shaving. You're gonna have Gillette, cornerstone, uh, all sorts of shaving implements. 
and uh, everything is going to, in the end, be really smooth. Okay. I know that Harrison Ford is coming back for the movie, which is quite, which is going to be quite fun. Yeah. And um, Ryan Gosling is, is a part of it. But there was another, there was yeah. another casting decision that was a little more controversial. And it's going to be the first film role for Carol Vorderman, who is a mathematician and uh, presenter on Countdown. Uh, was it Countdown? Yeah, Countdown. So I was wondering if you could take us through your thought process in casting Carol. While I was uh, studying my GCSEs, but uh, the school I was studying at, they kicked me out because I was uh, filming the class from above from a helicopter. And so uh, I just stayed at home. I watched Countdown all day and I see her and I think she is an actress. That's very exciting. Danny, is there anything that you'd like to ask, Denis? Denis, I was recently um, reading an interview of you where you talked about your involvement in the script process for Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, and that the title was your idea. I was wondering if you could tell us about that process. Yes, it was a political statement, Danny. I'm glad you asked. Uh, the Clumps, this is French-Canadian for the fascists. Uh, the problem is we have a real problem in French Canada, as we all call it there, with uh, professor class and particularly the nutty types. And so we call them fascists because we want to reflect the truth of uh, French Canada, you know. Um, Denny, I, I, I want to touch on a slightly controversial topic. Um, you quite famously have had a long-running feud with Questlove from The Roots. I was wondering if you could explain how that came about exactly. I understand it's something to do with your haircut. Yes, uh... It's it's a podcast is a uh, visual format so you you cannot see, but I actually have a swastika shaved into my head, uh, so yes, that's pretty simple. Um, you recently said that the ending of Casablanca was flawed and wrong. Uh, what did you mean by that? Okay, here is my ending for Casablanca. Okay, there's a man playing the piano. Okay, smash cut. He is dead inside the piano. There's the wires running through his body. A Nazi plays the keys, but they're all wrong. He taps a high key, it makes a bass sound. It's crazy. It reverberates throughout the body and all you hear are screams. Then the camera pans above. A helicopter takes off from the the airstrip, you know. It takes off and it pans around in a big circle. It's twilight. Suddenly, from black and white, it's full color, Technicolor film. It moves around, and then uh, at the end, you just see a picture of me, and I'm staring at you, and I am saying, This is war! This is war! This is life! There is no happy or sweet or romantic film ending! That actually does sound quite powerful. Very um, powerful. I heard that on the set of Prisoners, which a film you made with Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. um, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake uh, Gyllenhaal. Yes. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal, exactly. No, um, no, Gyllenhaal. Right, yes, okay. Um, you had a very good relationship with them both, but especially with Hugh, I understand. He's quite a uh, close friend Hulk, of yours. Hug, hug, hug. You had quite a close relationship with him, and that he is obviously very fond of his dog, and he insists that his friends buy gifts for his dog. Yes. And I heard that you bought a particularly exciting gift for Hugh Jackman's dog. Uh, could you tell us what that was? It was uh, another smaller dog that his dog could treat as a dog in that sort of way. And uh, then I bought that dog another even smaller dog. Hugh Jackman's dog is really fucking big. I don't know if you've seen this dog, but it is, it is a really big dog. So uh, 
So uh, I don't know if he's happy, but he's got a lot of dogs. It's very exciting, especially for me. I love dogs, but what I love even more than dogs is giving dogs. That's really nice, and it's very sweet. It's been a real pleasure to have you, Denny, and I hope that we can um, maybe uh, have you back sometime. Uh, well, okay, yeah, maybe. I could check my diary. Thanks so much for listening. Yes. Join us next week. We'll be reviewing... Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Also, Patterson. I've seen that. That's coming out. Mm. I'm going to review it. I saw a trailer for that. It looked very gentle. It is. Great. So... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Enjoy your week, everyone. And uh, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.